0: And greetings, dear listeners. It's time for the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly.
1: Your show last week on dolphin lactation was just riveting radio.
0: Why, thank you, Amy Poehler. I hope you like this week's show just as much. It just so happens it's about women comedians like you. And how we got from this... Would you believe that
2: I once entered a beauty contest? I must have been out of my mind. I not only came in last... I got 361 get well cards.
0: <laughs> to this...
3: People say that Hillary is a bitch. And Let me say something about that. Yeah, she is. <laughs> and so am I. And so is this one.
4: Yeah, yeah. deal with it. You know what?
0: <laughs> From the days of Phyllis Diller, reeling off one-liners about her homely looks, to contemporary comedians like Tina Fey, and yes, Amy Poehler, proudly proclaiming that bitch is the new black. Once upon a time... Prominent women comics were few and far between, working with a pretty narrow range of acceptable themes and with little access to the levers of showbiz power. But now we have scads of funny women, binders full of them, tackling all sorts of material and working at the highest rungs of the profession. They're headlining on stage, creating and starring in and directing sitcoms and movies, and generally putting their stamp on the industry— So we are going to talk about how it came to be with Yael Cohen. She's the author of the recent book, We Killed, The Rise of Women in American Comedy. It's an oral history consisting of interviews with dozens of comedy pros, including lots of women comedians. And uh, just a note as we proceed, this show is more of a what's what than a who's who. That is, it is in no way, shape, or form a survey of all the great women comedians past or present, There are just too many of them and too much history there to cover in a one-hour program. So I focused instead on some of the questions raised by all that history. Like, uh, for instance, whether men and women use humor differently, and why some types of comedy were considered for so long to be a man's game, and what it took for women to finally squash that assumption once and for all. So with that in mind, let's get on with the show. So, Yael... Christopher Hitchens famously said uh, a few years back that women aren't funny, Mm -hmm. and then he died.
4: Right.
0: (laughs) Does anybody make that claim anymore?
4: I think they do. I don't think they do it quite in the same way that he did. I mean, he kind of went out there very confidently, did it, and tried to unpack the reasons why. But I think there are subtle ways people say it. I mean, one of the things you hear a lot from female comedians is, you know, after a show, a guy will walk up to them and they'll say... I never think women are funny, but I think you're really funny. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's not always necessarily men who are saying it. I mean, there are women who say women aren't as funny as men. Uh, I think, you know, Lisa Lampanelli told me that. She said she only thinks like three or four women are funny. Did she name them? She did name them. They were Sarah Silverman. I thought so. Uh, was one of them. <laughs> Uh, th- there were two others. Now I can't think of what they were off the top of my head at the moment. I know one of them was Sarah Silverman. You know, they they were blue. I mean, they were bluer-type comics.
0: Um, do you think the gender gap has pretty much closed in comedy? I mean, we we have so many now really top-notch and big-selling women comedians.
4: Mm-hmm. Right, right. I mean, the gap is closed insofar as that you see a lot of women who are working in comedy now, and part of it is you have the previous generations. You know, Joan Rivers, all the comics from the '80s, in addition to the comics that you have now. You know, when I was growing up in the '80s and the '90s, I, I do remember seeing a lot of funny women, which I think is why when I initially read the, the Hitchens piece, I was kind of like, huh, you know, that's that's <laughs> kind of it's kind of weird. I think he was he was actually talking largely about you know normal women. Um, and then he makes exceptions <laughs> for female comedians. He he does say something like, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't successful female comedians, it's just that they're all, these are his words, hefty, dykey, or Jewish, or some combination of the three is basically what he said. <laughs> so he kind of, you know, categorized them, and it's categories that people sometimes make. But, yes, at the higher levels there seems to be a, a gender gap closing, but I I still think the same challenges remain for... Uh, up-and-comers.
0: Um, not to dwell too much on Christopher Hitchens, but because he he does represent a, an interesting viewpoint that's out there. I'm going to stick with that for a moment longer. You said that he may have been saying, you know, women in general aren't as funny as men. You know, when I was growing up, let's say going back to like junior high or even elementary school, you had girls who were attractive and had social skills, and you had guys who were afraid of them but attracted to them, of course, and who had no skills, and guys reverted to humor. So, you know, at least a certain subset of the guys would just joke a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. while the girls would discuss more substantive things, I I suspect. (laughs) (laughs) But there was this division. I mean, guys were using humor to bond, to get a little bit of power if they weren't great jocks or, you know, super good looking or or good with the girls, to aggress on each other, you know, put each other down. And you had the origins of comedy right there, long before anybody would have thought of going into to yeah, show but business. but you're then
4: talking about, like, a subset of girls that you guys were trying to impress. It doesn't mean <laughs> that there weren't other girls who were, you know, sitting on the sidelines, making each other laugh. It's not like, just because you're a teenage girl, all guys are talking to you. You could be a, a girl who you also want to talk to, a good-looking guy, and, and he's not talking to you. I mean, you're going to crack jokes about that. The same thing the guys are joking amongst themselves, so girls joke amongst themselves men don 't necessarily find the things that women find to be funny it doesn 't mean women aren 't sitting around joking with each other and, and and dealing with the same issues I mean women also deal with insecurities it 's not like you know women are vapid, you know attractive things that men want to Screw. I mean, they, they have substantive issues, and they have thoughts and opinions on things, and that's where sense of humor and point of view develop.
0: So when you were young, do you think really the wisecracking and all of that was equally distributed among girls and boys in your life?
4: Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, when I look at my group of friends, there are a lot of funny women, and the women sit at a table, everybody's yelling over each other, they, you know, they're telling stories, they're making everyone laugh, and the husbands are a little quieter than than their wives and and these are friends of mine from high school so I mean I know for a fact that women or that girls were sitting around acting like assholes as as much as the guys were
0: (laughs) I like how you equate humor with being an asshole
4: well you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) well there's certainly a breed of that in in, in comedy Mm -hmm. um But, yeah, I mean, women are certainly as funny as men, and and maybe we joke about different things, but I think that's part of why I had that reaction when I read the piece initially, is that when I look at the women that I know, it's totally untrue. And, in fact, I said it to a friend of mine. Uh, I said something to her, like, oh, well, you know, there's that whole thing, women aren't funny. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, there's a whole, you know, school of thought that women aren't as funny as men. And she was like, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And she named off, like, about 15 people who make her laugh, and they're all women.
0: Well, with guys... um... Again, the stereotype or the uh, the common view is that humor is compensatory. It's a way of making up for all kinds of insecurities, like you're not the great jock or you're not the hero or the stud. You're the class clown. Um, do you think there's truth to that? And if so, is it the same for girls?
4: I mean, why isn't it the same for girls? I mean, it's not like you're walking around without insecurities. You have insecurities about your job. You have insecurities about the way you look, which, you know, is why women are often accused of being self-deprecating. You know, do you have insecurities about, you know, who your friends are? You have insecurities about, does this guy like me? If I don't know if he's into me. Is he into me? Is he not into me? He called me. He didn't call me. I mean, it's, you know, women are faced with, with as much, if not more, than men are faced with.
0: Um, when you were growing up in the 80s and 90s, what was your relationship then to comedy? Were you, like, saying to yourself, look, I know all these funny women in my own life, yet there aren't as many women comedians as there are men, and they aren't getting as much attention?
4: I don't think I really thought about it in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, I, I honestly don't think I thought about it as much until, you know, Christopher Hitchens had kind of bust open with that piece. And, and that wasn't the piece that ultimately led me to write the article, which turned into the book. I mean, it was, it was more the response to that piece but, you know, I don't think I necessarily thought about it because I don't think I necessarily came from a, a background where I was thinking women aren't as funny as, as guys.
0: So what was your motivator, though, in uh, doing the article and then taking it to book length with roughly 200 interviews with all kinds of comedy professionals, uh, right. you know, a 300-page book that weaves these interviews together? What were you after?
4: I wasn't trying to prove women are funny. I mean, that wasn't my goal. I think if you don't think it, you don't think it. I don't know how you would ever prove it to someone who comes at it with that point of view. I was trying to show how women are funny. I mean, comedy is set up by movements. I mean, there are movements of comedy, things that kind of start on the ground and then emerge and then work themselves into the mainstream. So it's focusing on those movements of comedy, and then who the women were of those movements, and how they were shaped by the movement, how they shaped the movement, who they were influenced by, and who they influenced. Uh, so trying to get a sense of what the collective experience was. It wasn't necessarily about any single comic, more the emergence of, of women as a whole.
0: And you, you pretty much start off in the 1950s, mm-hmm. um, when really, when it comes to, say, stand-up, I mean, the list of women comics on the scene was tiny. I mean, everyone will immediately think of maybe Phyllis Diller, right? Mm -hmm. And then the list sort of peters out right after that.
4: (laughs) I mean, there were women before Phyllis Diller who did stand-up. You know, many of them came out of vaudeville. Um, Moms Mabley was on the Chitlin circuit. I mean, I started in the 50s because that's kind of the the birth of modern comedy and the ways that we experience comedy today, which is stand-up and sketch. Those are basically where we get our you know, two types of, of comedians, it, it kind of starts in the 1950s. And Phyllis Stiller was really you know, a woman who developed in clubs. It wasn't in vaudeville. It was in cabaret clubs, which is kind of you know, precursor to, to comedy clubs. And, you know, builds a national profile. And she does it by telling jokes and only telling jokes. She doesn't sing. You know, she doesn't dance. I mean, it's not peppered with that kind of, you know, song and dance style patter. She was a self, she was self-deprecating, which is what they often talk about when they talk about Phyllis Diller. I mean, that's one of her most memorable attributes was the way she cut herself down on stage, which was very grotesque and not something you would really imagine seeing a female comic do today in the same way that she did it. But it was that style and it was that sensibility that kind of cast a shadow over female comics for decades. I mean, to this day, we talk about are they self-deprecating, are they not self-deprecating? So I think in terms of, of modern stand-up, that's why I started with her.
0: So by uh, self-deprecating, you mean Phyllis Diller would make fun of her looks a lot. And you can see that strain in uh, female stand-up comedy going from Phyllis Diller, um, Joan Rivers, and uh, and even you know a lot of comedians today. Roseanne Barr mm-hmm. did it, too, although she did it with a lot more command and aggression, maybe self-possession, but, you know, she made fun of her weight. That is just, like, the core of woman's stand-up for a long time, is saying, I'm not very good-looking, I'm not attractive, also I have kind of a slob for a husband or boyfriend. Those mm-hmm. are, like, the two things that you find.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something you find in, in female humor, but that's not to say that men aren't self-deprecating, too. I mean, they are. I mean, I, you know, I don't get no respect is Rodney Dangerfield, which is you know, obviously, not a, a comment where you know he's going out there and, and you know saying he's so great. Um, and, and you know, Louis C.K. today is certainly self-deprecating. I mean, there's certainly that it, men certainly do it. It's just that for some reason we notice it with the women and we dissect it a little bit more than we do with <laughs> male comics who do it who do it as well.
0: You know, it it, it struck me when I was trying to figure out why it um, took so long for there to be a large number of really successful uh, women comedians and all the challenges that were out there. Of course, there's sexism and all that. But another one that occurred to me was that, you know, one function of male comedy going way back is to make fun of men. Uh, You know, the Three Stooges, uh, Abbott and Costello, uh, Laurel and Hardy, on and on and on were essentially portraying men as idiots, the staple of American sitcoms is the bumbling, stupid dad or, or husband from you know Ralph Cramden to Homer Simpson and Al Bundy. But the reason for that is the men had power, right? There was a male ideal all over, so it really had a lot of punch when you made fun of men. For women, it seems like you know it's a little trickier because uh, women already had, had enough knocks against them in society that making fun of them just didn't have the potency.
4: I mean, but there's still an there's still an American ideal of what it is to be a woman that that female comics, you know, uh, break down. I mean, it's not like there isn't an ideal type of woman that that you know you're not fighting against.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it just struck me that women had a harder row to hoe there.
4: Well, I think I think the part of what was harder for women was was just breaking through to American audiences and also to network executives who had, you know, certain ideas about what is appealing about a woman and how they wanted to view women. And I think that was what really held a lot of women back. It was, you know, men wanting to see basically hot women that they want to sleep with on TV versus seeing, you know, women cutting themselves down or, or, or you know, making fun of themselves and dissecting and stomping on the notion that we should all be prim housewives who are able to just, you know, do the laundry, bake the bread, and do whatever, you know, so easily.
0: Right, right. Well, as I was going through the the history, um, reading your book, and looking at some old clips, I noticed how constrained the material was initially in the older clips uh, among some of the comedians. So, again, we mentioned Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers. It was mostly about being attractive or unattractive, about trying to find a husband, you know, in Joan Rivers's case, uh, she joked a lot about you know getting right. married late. It was you know kind of a very constrained woman's world that they were able to access in their material, and then over time, you find the material widening out till finally women get to do all the things that men were doing all along: politics, society, work, and sex
4: yeah I mean I think with someone like with like with joan rivers is when you you look back on it from where we're sitting today it does you know it looks maybe a little dated and it looks you know she's husband hunting and, and you have to remember where women were at that point, and that's not like there were a ton of women you know going out there and and you know making jokes about their inability to to meet someone and get married in their late twenties i mean I don't you know it was pretty risque at the time
0: but um what do you think about the the point that If you looked at this history, you see women laying claim to to a wider and wider range of material, wider, wider range of things to comment on until finally now they can talk about anything that a man can talk about.
4: Sure. I mean, the the, the history of women in comedy really tracks the history of of women's rights. So certainly you have... Increasingly, more women who talk about a variety of different issues. You have women who talk about politics. You have women who talk about dating. You have women who talk about pop culture, and they can talk about all of it, and we accept it from them. It wasn't necessarily as acceptable um, before the 1970s to, you know, in a mainstream setting to hear women be as political as they as they eventually became. Uh, it doesn't mean that that there weren't women who were interested in doing it. And Lily Tomlin was very political, and she had her platform. You know, I guess. Starting in the 1970s is when you really start to see it.
0: You mentioned in your uh, introduction that there were a few people you really wanted to talk to who mm-hmm. did not consent. Mm-hmm. Who were they?
4: You know, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Sarah Silverman. You know, Wanda Sykes was another one.
0: How about Elaine May?
4: Elaine May was definitely one. I went out to her several times and, and just couldn't get through, and I went to an event that she went to, and I, you know, tried to get to her manager, and he he said that she wasn't so interested, you know, that she doesn't really like to do interviews. There were, an, obviously, a number of, of people I would have loved to have interviewed. Um, you know, I think Elaine Boozler was another one, that it sounds like I didn't speak to anybody when i <laughs> when I list off who I didn't speak to, but no, no, uh, you've
0: got a long list here, but the people you just named were notable uh by their absence because they're so important right Was there any common um reason you think that they didn't want to talk about it? Yeah, my se- my
4: sense was that they they're tired of talking about being a woman in comedy. I mean, I think in general there's an uh feeling, you know, you want to be a comic, you don't want to be a female comic and so getting grouped into a book with female comics is maybe ghettoizing in some sort of way. You know, it's a little disappointing because I don't think I was approaching it that way. I wasn't trying to talk about them just as female comics. I was trying to understand them as comics and when you look at a lot of histories of of comedy, it, they do exclude women. It's not like the, those things are, are full of of women as representative of certain styles. So, you know, I was trying to do a history of comedy through the eyes and experience of the women. So, you know, but you can, you can only convince someone so much.
0: You know, I, I was thinking that was the reason. Um, and you have a comment from Elaine Boozler, who was a pretty groundbreaking comedian in the uh, 80s. And she said, I'm a woman who's a comic, not a woman's comic. And she definitely didn't want to be classified as, you're pretty funny for a woman. She just wanted to be judged on an equal footing with all the the great male comics. And she said, you know, her um, idols or her influences were people like Robert Klein and Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And, and, you know, I interview women in, you know, traditionally male-dominated professions. And I long ago learned that asking them about being a woman is, is often taken as a little bit of an insult, you know.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it is, and and usually the questions that I asked them, they weren't, you know, they weren't really, you know, what's it like being a woman in a man's profession. I was, you know, I wanted to hear from from them. Well, who were your influences? I wasn't asking them who were their their female influences. Who were, you know, who were your influences? Who who were you looking up to? Who was in your? Who were your colleagues? Who were your peers? And, you know, and, and how were you developing your voice and your style at the time? I mean, those are questions you would ask any comic. I don't think they're questions that you would just, you know, obviously you wouldn't just ask um, female comics the questions. Then, you know, of course there are certain subjects that come up. I mean, you, you can't fully avoid them, you know, with some of the barriers that existed there. I mean, they, they come up naturally in the course of conversation. I don't even know that you fully need to ask them.
0: Well, I, you know, certainly don't want to do any ghettoizing in this interview, but to me, it's a legitimate question, because, again, if you go back in history, a couple decades, you find the number of prominent women comics is tiny, and suddenly, in the last 20 years, there's been an explosion.
4: I mean, it's worth talking about as much as any type of barrier to progress in in any workplace.
0: And this is the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly, and I am talking to Yael Cohen about her recent book of oral history, We Killed, The Rise of Women in American Comedy. And as Yael mentioned, uh, one of the really pioneering women comedians who she wasn't able to talk to was Elaine May. Elaine May came to fame as part of the Nichols and May comedy team in the late 1950s and early 60s, and she broke with a lot of the norms of female comedy of that era, She did not play the dits. She was intellectual and sophisticated. She didn't do the whole self-deprecating shtick. And judging from this bit, she didn't take crap from men. This is a routine that she and Mike Nichols did on the radio in the early 1960s. And I'm not sure, but it sounds improvised to me.
1: Hello? Uh, Hello, Nancy?
2: No, it isn't. I'm sorry you have the wrong number.
1: Is this Rector four, 44445? Four, 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 no, it isn't. Oh, I'm sorry. B- but, uh, don't hang up.
2: <laughs> Why not?
1: Well, I don't know. <laughs> you sound very nice.
2: Thank you. You've got the wrong number. Why don't you try darling, again?
1: Well, uh, what number is this?
2: This is not Rector 4445, whatever you said it was.
1: I don't understand, because I am dialing Rector 44445. 4, Why don't you call the
2: operator? What a wonderful idea that might be. Well,
1: now, then, listen, don't get angry. <laughs>
2: I'm not angry.
1: What, what number is this?
2: This is not Rector 44445.
1: 4, yeah, but I didn't say what it was, and I said, what is it?
2: Well, it isn't what you want.
1: Well, we don't know that.
2: Yes, we do. We know that very well. I know that. Now, I'd like you to know it, too, and then we can know it. It'll be a secret that we share.
1: What do you look like?
2: I'm very beautiful.
1: Well, uh, you don't sound like you're very busy right now.
2: Yes, I'm not very busy. I have nothing at all to do.
1: Well, uh, maybe you'd like to make a new friend.
2: No, I don't think so. I have enough friends as it is. Too
1: many. Are you sure?
2: Quite positive.
1: Well, aren't you even curious about me?
2: No, not at all.
1: Listen, this might be the big thing in your life.
2: Yes, it might. What a pity, because I'm going to have to miss it.
1: But why don't you take a chance? Listen, why don't you let me come up and you take a look at me? And if you don't like me, you can just slam the door in my face. Now, that's a deal. It's
2: not necessary. I don't like you from talking to you.
1: Then why haven't you hung up?
2: Oh, what a good idea.
0: (laughs) Elaine May and Mike Nichols. And now back to today's interview with Yael Cohen, the author of We Killed, The Rise of Women in American Comedy. You know, we we talked about uh, the fact that you started in the 50s with your history coinciding with the real, you know, television age. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to television, you know, there was vaudeville and there were movies and, uh, you know, music hall type performances. And there you had a lot of women being funny. I mean, in vaudeville, a lot of women who are now forgotten. Um, in movies, you had an incredibly important person culturally, Mae West, mm-hmm. who not only was a huge star – Mm -hmm. But she was talking about sex more Mm -hmm. openly than anybody on the screen. I mean, Mm -hmm. including men. Right. Uh, And and yet, then you have this narrowing and constriction. Women being told, no, comedy isn't ladylike. At least Mm -hmm. a lot of material isn't ladylike when you get TV coming into the picture.
4: Yeah, it's true. I mean, that you definitely had funny women. And, I mean, there were there were lots of them. And, and it's funny because I remember I was talking to Carl Reiner about it at some point. I asked him about, you know, women aren't funny or something like that. And he, he kind of, like, took offense that I was even asking <laughs> him. And he was, like, naming all of these women. Of course, they were all, you know, Broadway stage per- personas. They exactly, weren't. yeah. Um, y- yes, there was the age of television. I think television was, you know, was for a long time a very conservative medium. But I think the other thing that happened was comedy changed. You know, in vaudeville and in some of that older style, you know, you see funny women, but, you know, they, they sing a little, they dance. I mean, they, they, it was an older style of comedy. I think what happened was when, you, when it was about, in stand-up in particular, a woman getting up on stage and just talking and telling a joke, uh, I think that that's where a lot of these notions of, you know, comedy being a man's profession come from, because there, there was this idea that telling a joke, you know, where you're just talking, is it, a very masculine, aggressive form of comedy. And I think that was true probably up until the alternative comedy movement, um, which, you know, was a little less aggressive joke telling, I guess. But I think that there was a sense that, you know, telling jokes is aggressive and it's masculine. Um, and that's basically what Johnny Carson told Rolling Stone was, you know, that he can take it from a guy, but there's something aggressive and unattractive about a woman standing on stage mm. and telling a joke.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, that there's something innately aggressive about um, telling jokes. And I think it's true. I'm trying to figure out how. I mean, in some cases they are put down, so they're deliberately attacking somebody, including, yeah. including the person himself. There's that word punchline. So the actual delivery of the funny line is like punching someone, you mm-hmm. know? That's really interesting, so in order for women to really um come into their own as stand ups, you had to be able to accept women as aggressive
4: right, and you had to accept them as as thanks you know as as you're there to listen to what they have to say i mean and that's what that's what you're there for, so I think you know that was a that was a big shift
0: so i'm thinking that you know one sign of parody in all of this, and i i mean p a r i t y is a comedian like Lisa Lampanelli, who is got to be one of the meanest um, comedians ever. Uh, mm-hmm. I think she makes Don Rickles seem like uh, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so women are now out there doing serious, put-down, you know, aggressive comedy.
4: Yeah, so again, it, it kind of takes us to the the attractiveness issue, too, was I, I think one of the reasons Phyllis Diller was so self-deprecating was if you're going to go out there and make fun of someone, you, have to, you can't go out there and say, I'm perfect and I'm making fun of someone. It makes you unlikable. It's hard to take it from someone who thinks they're so perfect that someone's, you know, that they're, they're making fun of people. So she was self-deprecating. And I think that through the 1980s, it's not true that the women comics weren't all this way, but the ones who were getting famous were often, you know, a little brassier, uh, you know, maybe bigger. They weren't, you know, feminine, girly type of women who were creating mega-famous, national profiles, <laughs> and that was something that started to change it with the alternative comedy movement and the emergence of Janine Garoflo and the women around her to eventually you know, Sarah Silverman and Chelsea Handler. So until the, the 90s, you really kind of have a more aggressive type persona on stage.
0: Yeah, in fact, you have this line that you wrote. The most successful female comics, and we're, we're going back to the, like the, the pre-'90s, tended to be tough, husky, or androgynous. Right. <laughs> and right. Later, later you say brassy, overweight, or sexually ambiguous. And it's a, a rare case in show business of good-looking women having a harder time. Margaret Cho said, if you're pretty, you just can't work. It sucks because people just don't care. They're like, we don't want to hear anything from you. You can see how much resentment people have toward people they think are privileged, and on top of that list are naturally really beautiful girls. Now, of course, this this is sort of true with male comedians, too. I mean, it's definitely an advantage if you look funny, and you're not perfectly handsome.
4: Right. I mean, that's the thing, is, is that to a large extent, you know, how you look plays a lot into your persona, and it's part of what's funny. And this is true for men and women. I mean... I, I don't know your personal view of Chris Farley but Chris Farley I think was funny just because he was fat the the sketch that I think of the most when I think of Chris Farley was him playing a, um, a Chippendale stripper with Patrick <laughs> Sweezy. and why is that funny it's funny because he doesn't look like a you know he, he shouldn't be a Chippendale stripper and so I think you know we focus a lot on women you know whether they're attractive or not attractive and, because that's kind of how we talk about women in general in the culture but it's not that, you know people get upset too if we talk about a particular comedian um, being funny if she's fat. And it's like, look, sometimes it's part of it, which is true for men, too. I mean, some men are funny, and their weight plays into it. And, and so I think, um, I can't remember what your question was now.
0: <laughs> well, ju- it was really just the point that it was hard for really good-looking w- uh, women, or, oh, yeah. or and, hot chicks, right. as they're described by some of the comedians you interviewed, uh, to make it in comedy. And that's a relatively recent development, but, but that this may be a case of... Not of sexism, this may be a case of just the essence of, of comedy. We find funny looking people to be funnier than right. than just great looking people
4: and it's true for men too. I mean, people have very strong feelings about dane cook and and that and and his whole thing and and part of that is that he 's not like a funny looking guy
0: yeah, yeah, I think that's true, and also I think there's a certain lack of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some of his comedy that made him kind of hateable, too, by some people. Right.
4: And it's also what you were kind of describing earlier is, is you know, we look at attractive people sometimes. I, I don't think this is true, but I think we look at beautiful people sometimes and we think, ugh, what kind of problems could you possibly
0: have? <laughs> exactly.
4: It doesn't matter that they were, like, abused as children. It's just that they're beautiful. So, like, you know, how could you have any problems in life?
0: <laughs> right, right. But then, you know, more recently we do have the emergence of Sarah Silverman, Chelsea Handler, Tina Fey, uh, and a lot of other you know good looking women comedians who are you know super talented and and uh, have a lot of good material, the suspicion is that they must be damaged in some sense i mean mm-hmm. Sarah for instance i mean confided i heard her confide in in mark maron 's podcast uh, his w t f podcast that she has suffered from serious depression since she was a teenager and has been on antidepressants forever so she 's had a hard time despite being very good looking you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, maybe I mean, that her book runs... was
4: also, I think, very revealing in that way. Yeah. I, I don't know if you read it, but it was it was very good, and I thought it revealed a lot about you know some of her some of her darker places, I guess. Uh,
0: I, I haven't read it, so I wasn't aware of that. But uh, I'm guessing, you know, again, maybe I'm just resorting to a stereotype here, but that to be a good comedian, you have to be making up for something. Something makes you want to spend your life telling jokes or making people laugh.
4: And it's, you know, Tig Notaro's, you know, her career-making set that we suddenly know her, maybe not as a household name, but pretty close to becoming one, was was about breast cancer. Yes. And, and I yeah. think that, um, you know, some of the best comedy comes from, you know, basically a situation you're either going to laugh at it or you're going to cry at it.
0: Right, right. Um, you know, it's interesting to read in your book that, after this sort of breakthrough where, where uh, you know really attractive women were becoming successful at doing stand-up, there's now a worry, at least among some of the people you talk to, that hot chicks, again, using the phrase they used, right. might even take over. That now you've got a lot of pretty girls coming onto the scene trying to be Sarah Silverman or something like that by saying really raunchy, outrageous stuff. Right. Uh, and after all these years of there being kind of a discrimination against conventionally attractive women in comedy that the opposite's going to happen.
4: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I spoke to uh, someone who worked at Funny or Die, and he was basically telling me that he gets calls all the time from executives who were looking for, you know, I need a, I need, I need a funny hot girl. <laughs> okay. Hollywood likes to cast good-looking women. There certainly was concern um, that there were a lot of women who were doing, you know, sexy cute as as a persona. I mean, there were a number of women who complained about um, you know, women going on stage and doing you know this kind of dirty, sexy, cute type of comedy uh that that the women felt was playing to guys that it wasn't playing to other women, so it does seem like you know you've you've reversed course i i you know I guess that's that's a time thing you'll see maybe you know how how some of that shapes up
0: and you're listening to the seventh avenue project I'm Robert Polly. Before we get back to today's interview with Yael Cohen talking about women in American comedy, I thought I'd play another clip of a groundbreaking woman comic from decades past. This is Elaine Boozler, who made a big splash on the stand-up circuit in the 1970s.
3: I think aggression turns people off. Like, the better I do up here, the worse I do down there. Hold the world championship for having men say to me, Oh, I'm sorry, I don't understand it. This never happened to me before. Get you close to home for this section. <laughs> Sometimes I don't feel wanted. Last night I was with a guy who faked premature ejaculation. Now. <laughs> I did not know what to do. I faked pregnancy. It's tough to work clean shit.
0: <laughs> and let's return to today's interview with Yael Cohen, author of We Killed, The Rise of Women in American Comedy. Do you think women have caught up then in all the important areas, I mean, in terms of uh, being taken seriously, of of being completely marketable, of producing the highest level of comedy, uh, including um, stand-up and great sketch comedy and sitcoms? I mean, we have Tina Fey, who's, you know, the creator of 30 Rock, which is, you know, obviously one of the, the best sitcoms to emerge in the last 10 or more years. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think they've caught up in all areas?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think they've caught up. I think they've been there for a long time. I think in terms of us being recognizing that they've caught up, yeah, I mean, I think we're there. And, and even, you know, even with bridesmaids, that women can open a comedy movie. I mean, I think that that would suggest that we're there. It's not to say, though, in 10 years, we're not going to be having the same conversation over again. I mean, it's, it's quite possible. I think a lot of this is cyclical. And I think when you look at a lot of what's gone on in the past 50 years, you know, this conversation, it goes away, it comes back, it goes away, it comes back.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's one area where people often focus now as, as being still um, unequal, and that is in writing staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you point out that um, uh, on late-night television shows, uh, of 10 major late-night shows employing 145 writers, only 16 of those writers are women, at mm-hmm. least as, at the time you, you wrote your book.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's yeah. kind of amazing general, there are fewer women working in comedy than there are men who are working in comedy. So I think that accounts for why some people think that there are fewer female comics than male comics. In terms of writing staff, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know why that is. I don't, I don't know why there are fewer women. I mean, Liz, one thing that Liz Winstead said, uh, and Liz Winstead you know, co-created the Daily Show with another woman before Jon Stewart was, was a host, was that when they made you know, a call out for resumes, they only got two submissions from women, and that she didn't like their submissions, so she didn't hire them. I think that there are probably fewer women going out for those jobs. That, that's, that's probably a large part of it. And then there are reports that, you know, the writer's rooms are difficult. Um, where you do have a lot of women, strangely, is producing, is producing of comedy. There are a lot of female producers of comedy.
0: Mm-hmm. So in more sort of uh, administrative power positions. Right. Interesting. Interesting. We've been hitting on some of the obstacles that women faced. I mean, the, the fact simply that uh, comedy wasn't thought ladylike. It was thought too aggressive, at least stand-up. The fact that TV was very conservative and it really was kind of regressive in its representation of women. You know, in the in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, uh, when you had new sitcoms emerging, starring women, working women, that was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, independent women depicting them as something other than housewives. Right. TV was always way behind the culture. Right. Um. I was wondering also, at the time all this was going on, these breakthroughs were happening, this was the era of, you know, second wave feminism, the 60s and 70s flavor of feminism. And it was often reputed to be pretty humorless, right? Or Mm anti-humor. Maybe, I would suggest, because humor was so often used to put women down, I don't know, because they didn't want their cause to be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, But do you think there was any friction between that kind of serious feminism and women who just wanted to be funny?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think there was. I mean, Phyllis Stiller kind of talks about how the feminists hated her, and they hated the fact that she was so self-deprecating. They didn't like that about her. And, you know, she said that wasn't her concern. Her concern was to go out there and get laughs. You know, Treva Silverman, who was a writer on the Mary Tyler Moore show, you know, does talk about how, you know, she was impacted by that movement personally, and how as she kind of, Became more aware of women and their place in society. She built that into the character of Rhoda uh, a lot more. Um, I think there's still friction um, in regards to the way you know feminists want to talk about issues and the way that comedians want to talk about it. I mean, um, you know, for example, when Eddie Brill um, Letterman's Booker was let go for making comments about women being less authentic than men. Um, you know, a lot of that was picked up by, uh, I think, the, the feminist blogosphere, and they were very upset about it. But when you speak to female comedians, they were not as upset about it. I mean, they kind of felt that, uh, you know, at least some of the women that I've spoken to, I don't you know I don't know if all female comics feel this way, but I have spoken to female comics. They were like, look, you know, he's a harmless guy. He only said out loud what people say behind the scenes. And it's not like that since he's been like, go, Letterman has had a ton of women on suddenly.
0: Mm, mm. It is interesting that the um, head writer for Letterman in the early days, Meryl Marco, mm-hmm. is a woman. Uh, when to me, Letterman's humor, the, the humor on that show, the stunts and the the stupid human tricks, and mm-hmm. just the whole style of it, struck me as very male. You know, maybe that's just me being sort of bigoted, but um, that a woman was behind some of the pace-setting comedy that Letterman. Was putting right. out is really interesting to me.
4: I mean, I think that just goes to show you that you know, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you can't necessarily create a certain kind of comedy. Just like you know, there are plenty of men who were behind some great you know female sitcom characters.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, we haven't talked much about sketch comedy. You've you've brought it up, but we've been talking a lot about stand-up. Now, in sketch comedy, it seems to me um, that that's where women found you know a more hospitable a uh, home in a lot of places going back to the 50s yeah. there was the compass players in chicago which Kind of gave rise to Second City, is that right?
4: Yeah, it did. The, the people who were uh, involved with Compass Players created so like Second City. It's kind of a precursor.
0: And there was the Groundlings in L.A. Right, and, which was
4: like an offshoot of Second City.
0: And then later on, Upright Citizens Brigade. And, right,
4: which is like all offshoot of. <laughs> I mean, they're all they all kind of <laughs> go back to Second City, which goes back to Compass Players.
0: Exactly, and then and then there were these sketch comedy shows, like you know, there was Rowan and Martin's Laugh In, which was trying to be swinging and hip in the late 60s. And a lot of women comics, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the most famous being Goldie Hawn and and Lily Tomlin. I mean, the most famous
4: people on that show were women.
0: Exactly, yeah, the most successful. And, of course, Saturday Night Live, which Mm -hmm. has been described as a boys' club until pretty recently with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and people like that really becoming the drivers in many cases. But nonetheless, you know, a ton of women comics uh, who we, we know coming out of those ensembles. Is there something about the ensemble situation that was just uh, easier for women to to get involved with
4: i mean i think when you look at a show like your show of shows you know sid caesar you, with imaging coca you know, one woman imaging coca and then yeah. it had a female writer in the staff it was one female writer among those men it was two different women at two different times but at, at any given time it was only one woman so you know it's not like there were tons of women working right. in that field prior to laughing and even on laughing there were no female writers in the room it was mainly on stage I think the part of it is in terms of ensemble is you need women to play women roles and you needed men to play men roles. I think the challenges that the female sketch comics faced was not getting relegated to just you know the female archetype of being you know the mom, the girlfriend, the nun or, or what have you I mean I do think that that was a challenge, and I think it's a it 's a challenge. Uh, moving up to today, but just kind of being able to break out of female stereotypes and, and laughing. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, the Lily Tomlin, you know, came to that show with, you know, uh, some of her own characters which she maintained rights to, and then was able to, you know, spin more out of them after she left the show. Uh, but in terms of modern sketch comedy, you know, Lily Tomlin had these these specials uh, which won Emmys before Saturday Night Live, and when you look at those shows, they really kind of captured the shift that was taking place between Laugh and, and the old style of comedy like Carol Burnett or, or, and then to eventually what became a Saturday Night Live. I mean, it had, it kind of shares a similar feel and tone to what what you see on Saturday Night Live. And you can't, it's hard to find them. I mean, I don't think you can find them on YouTube. I went to the Paley Center to get, to get at those. Um, but, she, you know, she was a lot more political and, than Saturday Night Live, um, you know, which I think was a little more madcap.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so in that area you're talking about, which is, what, early 70s?
4: Early 70s, like 1972, maybe, 71, 72.
0: So you had uh, Lily Tomlin, you had the short-lived Richard Pryor show.
4: Right, and the thing about Lily Tomlin specials is that's where, you know, Lorne Michaels really got his underground street cred. I mean, he was a producer on those shows. I mean, the, the emergence of that comedy underground on television really happened through Lily Tomlin, uh, and she was- con- you know considered a very dangerous comic at that time, and she wasn't she wasn't political just in terms of feminist issues, although she tackled those as well, but she tackled you know the Vietnam War and she tackled racism and racial issues, and Richard Pryor was on her on her sketch program too, so she was very pivotal I think, in being the bridge between what was on t v before to what you eventually find on on saturday night live and then you get to Saturday Night Live where, you know, obviously a lot has been said about it being a boys' club, but it really, you know, had a lot more female writers than any show before it. I mean, it had three. You know, previously you can really find shows with, like, one or two.
0: Now, now the other um, semi-revolutionary comedy variety show that was in the mix, um, even prior to Lily Tomlin and Richard Pryor, was the the Smothers Brothers, which broke all kinds of rules and ultimately was canned by the network, Mm -hmm. CBS. Uh, for being too radical <laughs> mm-hmm, <right. laughs> and, and not sticking to the program. Um, were there women involved in that show?
4: I think there were. I mean, Elaine May had, I know, I don't know how much she wrote for the show. I know that she wrote a sketch that was cut that was then published in the New York Times. And I wish I could remember at the moment what the sketch was about, but it was funny. Um, and I remember, and, you know, I was reading it but this, probably more than a year ago now that, that I even was, was looking at it. And, you know, I think Lee French was on there as well.
0: Do you think women have changed comedy? I mean, we've been talking about equality, you know, doing the same things that men do, laying claim to the same kinds of material and and status that men have in the comedy world. But have they altered the language of comedy?
4: In terms of style, I mean, I think when you look at alternative comedy, it's very much, you know it seemed to be driven by women i mean janine garofalo again was you know kind of the face of the alternative comedy movement in in the in the early 90s um, and then you know very encouraging of that storytelling kind of humor that that wasn't uh, the kind of thing you were going to do in a comedy club and eventually you know they move into uncabaret which which was kind of this pivotal alternative comedy show started by a woman and had its roots in this kind of uh, response to not wanting to do this work in, you know, quote-unquote misogynistic comedy clubs. I mean, that was kind of the thinking, you know, that Beth Lapidus, who founded The Uncabaret, Cabaret, uh, took with her when, when she started the show. So I think that, you know, a lot of the comedy, and, you know, I, I'm sure there are female comics who want to kill me for saying it, but I think joke-telling is very male form of humor, and that storytelling is more of a female form of humor. It's a little more feminine. Now, that's not to say women don't tell jokes and men don't tell stories. They do. But in terms of how you're looking at something being, you know, masculine or feminine, and alternative comedy was really more of a, uh, you know, kind of eliminating that shticky thing that had become popular in the 80s, you know, in comedy clubs.
0: By the way, you mentioned Uncabaret. This was in in Los Angeles.
4: That was in Los Angeles. And yeah. it was
0: a venue for uh alternative comedy. Uh Yeah,
4: Unc- Uncabaret was a show. Uh it was on Sundays and it was I can't remember, I think it was in a in a club. And, you know, you would kind of go downstairs, and it was basically comedians would go to this show on Sunday and kind of speak spontaneously on stage. They would have to tell a story. They weren't allowed to repeat material. Um, they weren't allowed to do their acts on stage. And it was often, you know, a much freer form of talking. And, and you know, sometimes it, didn't, it wasn't necessarily funny, but people kind of worked out um, material there, It was supposed to be like a very, you know, an easy place to create, and they talked about each other there. And, you know, those 90 comedians were very tight. They all lived together. They all, you know, ate together. They drank together. They did everything together. And then they'd get on stage on cabaret and kind of talk about each other. And what made
0: it alt is that it wasn't, you know, jokes, set up punchline, you know, standard format. Exactly.
4: And it was discouraged. That kind of, you know, stand up, you know, jokes, punchline was discouraged. You know, you could go up on stage with a notebook that wasn't frowned upon. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) you weren't expected to come out with like a tight 10 minutes of you know comedy that you would work out. You were supposed to come on and like, you know, share something personal.
0: Right, right. And and Janine Garofalo, you mentioned um, as one of the leaders of this whole alt alt comedy thing. She was really big in the 90s. Um, You know, she was on the Ben Stiller show. She was Mm -hmm. on the Larry Sanders show. She was in the movie uh, Reality Bites and really pretty hot. Mm -hmm. Now, it's my impression. I don't know if you talked to her about this. You did interview her. That come the the turn of the millennium, she got extremely political. um, And she always was political. But, I mean, Mm -hmm. she got really devoted to politics and became a host on Air America and got less interested in being funny, and has sort of faded from the comedy scene.
4: Mm -hmm. I mean, she's right now she's doing comedy shows, and she seems to be trying to resurrect a little bit. Um, You know, one of the things she talked about in a stand-up set that i had seen was kind of how she has no online profile, and that's, you know, uh, a bit of a problem for her. And I think it's, you know, for comics today, unless you're on television, it's good for you to have some sort of you know, a website or, you know, a Twitter handle or, you know, something. Um, so she has, she has been doing a few comedy shows. I, I mean, I think that that was part of it. I think, you know, when you speak to some of the people who were around her at the time, you know, she was, they felt that she was one of those people who was just not comfortable with her own success and then was, was somewhat undermining of it. She did say that she ultimately felt she was more famous for her, you know, roles on television and the movies than she was for her stand-up. Um, That's true. Which is true. Yeah. But but at one know. time
0: she was a pretty hot stand-up as well. Right. I've seen Janine a couple times, mm-hmm. and I've, I don't think I've ever seen a person seem more uncomfortable with herself. Right. Oh, my God. She used to call her productions, I Hate Myself productions. Right. Which wasn't just a joke. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, mean, that's
4: one of the the critiques about her. It's funny, because sometimes they lump together self-deprecating people. They'll, like, lump together Phil Stiller and Janine Garofalo. And it's like, what the two of them were doing is, like, so... I mean, to even compare the two is so (laughs) wrong, because... You know, one was a device in order to yeah. go on stage, and yeah. It wasn't true. But you get yeah. the sense from Jenny Garafola she really feels that way about herself. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's, um, it's kind of even in sad. interviewing
4: her when I, you know, I'm telling, her, well, so and so said that this you were great because of this, or you did this, and well, I don't know why they said that. I didn't really. I mean, she doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't. And and you get the sense she's not just being humble that she no. really has this like weirdly no. low opinion about herself. She really and, does. And I don't, and it's I, for real. Yeah, and it and it, and I think you know I'm sure that I'm sure that doesn 't help you in, a, in an industry where self promotion is like
0: <laughs> so you know we've been we 've been talking about women getting sort of equality getting to the position of equality in um in comedy, and I want to ask. In what sense this matters, other than just that parity is good in all professions, we want to see women, you know, just like we see men, at least some of us do. So we want to see women boxers and women athletes and women physicists and women carpenters and women comedians. But is there something more to it? Is there a certain access to power or influence or, or some other major reward that women are then, you know, um, stepping into when they claim comedy as their own?
4: I think so. I mean, a lot of comedy is basically, you know, putting out there your views and, and opinions about anything. About it. it could be politics, it could be sex, it could be, you know, uh, religion. And I think that it's important to have those voices in the sense that it's important to have women out there who are talking about these issues, who are who, not issues, but who at least make us laugh about them or just... You know, in the way that, that a great comedian talking about American politics, you're not necessarily going to make a joke, the same joke that, you know, Jon Stewart is going to make. But there's a sort of catharsis in hearing him make those jokes. And I think it's the same for women who succeed in comedy. There's a catharsis in seeing someone joke about something that you could totally relate to, even if you weren't going to put it in the same way. hmm and, and and I think having women out there doing that is important. Mm-hmm. You know, a woman can say something that's you know cathartic for a man too. I mean, I don't. It, it, I'm not saying that it's just uh, that that it's just for female audiences, but I I, I just think that having that diversity of viewpoints, uh, you know, makes makes for a richer, fuller, you know, laugh out loud experience.
0: You know, I'm remembering uh, an episode of the Larry Sanders Show. Uh, with Gary Shandling, um, in which Sarah Silverman plays a woman comedy writer who's going to join his writing team, and she comes in and she can crack dirty jokes in the writers' room with the rest of the guys, and their eyes kind of widen. They've never met a girl who could do this, and 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 a cute one as well, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and by being able to do that, she was uh, uh, exercising a kind of power, you know, an ability mm-hmm. to deal with these guys on their own terms. So so I'm thinking maybe this this comedy equality is also, in a sense, um, getting a new new, new skill that can serve you well in, in life and in, in certain circles.
4: I mean, it's absolutely a skill. I mean, it's absolutely a skill to be able to diffuse a situation through humor.
0: <laughs> and also, you know, deal with guys for whom and that is. deal a,
4: with guys or even yeah. deal with, you know, other women. I mean, it's, uh-huh. but, but, you know, especially, I mean, I guess dealing with guys if you're working in especially a male-dominated field, which is most fields.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: Um, you know, and it's probably a way that you can earn someone's respect. You know, I, I, and comedy is very important, important for that. And I think that it's a way of doing it that it's not necessarily off-putting.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, El, it's been a lot of fun talking to you.
4: No, oh, it was great talking to you, too. These were great questions. They're very different from other questions.
0: Yeah, El Cohen is author of We Killed, The Rise of Women in American Comedy. This has been the Seventh Avenue Project, where the questions are different from other questions. And we've got a couple minutes left in the show today, so I thought I'd play a little Janine Garofalo doing some of that alternative comedy we were just talking about. This is from 1996.
3: So, who wants to hear the story of the ruptured ovarian cysts? Hands, hands. Okay. Well, here's here's how it happens um i was working and i sneezed and passed out so they took me to the hospital because i thought i had appendicitis because i had symptoms of appendicitis but no i had a series of ruptured ovarian cysts now why didn't i know i had these ruptured ovarian cysts because i don't go to the gynecologist why because i have a very don't ask don't tell policy with my vagina that's how i work it i don't bother it it doesn't bother me i deny my sexuality you know there we go so um i get there and i had to have an exam, you know, because it was the cyst that ruptured, and the gynecologist goes, you know how rare that is to rupture your cyst while sneezing? I mean, you have to be dropping an egg. And I've never won anything before. It's like winning the lottery. It's just an embarrassment of riches in my womb. So anyway, so he's giving me this exam, and he looks up through my knees, and he goes, you know, my wife and I love the Larry Sanders show, which I thought was great. So... but you know now you can enjoy it on a whole nother <laughs> level. And um, let me ask you this about tumors and cysts. When anyone has them removed, what size are they? Everybody gets a cyst removed. Grapefruit. grapefruit, right? I don't buy it. Everybody's cyst can't be the size of a grapefruit. I don't believe it. And when's the last time anybody went into a diner and said, "I had a grapefruit this morning, the size of a cyst <laughs> that rocked my world, ruby red."
0: Well, that does it for this week's show. I'll return in seven days with more of the Seventh Avenue Project. And uh, before I go today, uh, I just noticed that there were some points, as usual, that I did not articulate very well when I was asking my questions. And one that I wanted to clarify in particular uh, was when I said that male comedians may have had an advantage over female comedians for quite a long time because uh, in mocking themselves, which is what a lot of male comedians did, uh, they were, in a sense, mocking all those male power figures that were running the show in life. So when uh, Woody Allen, for instance, you know, plays the Nebbish, in a sense he's mocking the whole idea of masculinity, making it possible for men to think of themselves in ways other than the heroic uh, figures that society foists on us, right? And sure, as uh, Yael Cohen pointed out, women, of course, can mock the feminine mystique also, but uh, because there weren't as many women in positions of power, it might not have had quite the subversive thrill that male comedians were getting out of their material. Now, I don't know if that's right. In fact, I have some doubts about what I just said. But that, at least, was what I was trying to say. Okay, guys, I'll see you next week. And don't forget, we are online at 7thAvenueProject.com.